Welcome to Section 9, where we talk about IT and information security. I'm Damian Hall. And I'm Dorothy. And today we're going to be talking about security policies and procedures, and also some security resources. Now, when we talk about policies and procedures, we're just in the beginning stages. So what I'm looking for are some policies that we can use for Section 9. And I'm also looking for security resources that are going to help us put together a better security program. And we talked about this early on in the year where we wanted to have a security program for Section 9. And then all this other stuff came up where we had to redesign our network. We wanted to go more enterprisey on the network side. We got Fortinet. We got VMware. So we we did a huge or made a huge step in the right direction in terms of becoming more enterprise-like. But now one of the things that we have to think about is how do we protect what we have? What does that look like? And so we talked before about the critical security controls. We're going to do an audit at some point. And we also talked about having policies and procedures because we're realizing that some of the documentation we have for our lab, the stuff that you have to use on a regular basis where you know you, you have a process for logging into the VMware host, turning it on, you know, going into the, the VMware web interface, taking it out of maintenance mode, creating your VMs. We have a whole new uh, lab design where it's all in, in, in VMware. So there's a lot of things that we've learned that have made the, the, the lab environment and our network in general more enterprise-like and better. And we can actually use it and it's working. So now the question is, how do we do that for the security side? And one of the things I'm looking for is um, better protection. That's a big deal. And everybody always focuses on that. But then how do we do detection and response, right? If we detect something, well, how are we going to detect it, first of all? You know, what is, what is the process for what that? What does it look like? You know, what does it look like? And then how do we respond to that? And that's where your policies and procedures come into play. Because they define a configuration. They define, um, you know, how you're going to do your passwords, 12 characters versus eight, you know, uh, we're going to use LastPass. That's got to be part of the policy. So how does that, how does that help you build that process to where you have, um, a, you know, a, a, a configuration that's secure and then you have a way for doing detection for evil. And then you have a process when something bad happens, here are the 20 things we're going to do to make sure that we get rid of that evil, right? If there's a virus, what do we do? Here are the 20 steps. If we think there's a hacker on the network, well, here are the 20 steps for that. Because if you don't have that, when something bad happens, you're just sitting there freaking out and not doing anything because you don't have a process for that. Or you think you have some evil thing on your network, but you have no way of, of really doing any homework or research on that because you didn't have a plan in place before that happened. Well, and sometimes the bad thing is not a hacker or is not evil in your network. It's a pandemic that cuts down your resources. Do you have a plan for that? You know, so it, it. I was really surprised when we looked into this. Yeah, so what I did was I went online and I did a bunch of searching for policies. And I'm looking for examples of, of any kind of, you know, security policy. And that's when I remembered after spending a couple of days searching that SANS actually has some basic security policies. And they don't have everything, but they have a good mix in there that you can use that as a starting point. And uh, we'll put links to these things in the show notes. Um, but they have things like a software security policy, password protection policy, and like you were talking about, they also have one. Um, it's a pandemic response planning policy. 
And they just recently updated that because, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. But the fact that they had that, you know, the, the thought that goes into, because I think a lot of people in the networks, you know, they go, oh, I, that'll never happen. And they don't have a plan for when it happens. You know, and granted that, you know, you mentioned, oh, they even have one that if an asteroid hits something, you know, but, but the fact of the matter is that they actually have a process should the craziest thing ever happened. And now, you know, with this pandemic one that they just updated, what, March of 2020? At least they have something, you know, to build on, to, to just, you know, start from, you know. So I was very impressed by that. Yeah, and, and when you think about some of these things, it's also falling under the category of disaster recovery, business continuity planning, and people who do this for a living try to incorporate everything just to get themselves to think sort of out of the box. And so they they throw in that, you know, asteroid hitting your data center as a way for people to think about, well, what happens, you know, what do we do if that actually does happen? Because that that thinking of the asteroid piece could be thinking about the fire, right? Like the the fire is never going to happen to where it burns down the whole data center mm-hmm. until it does happen. And I worked for a company where the building caught fire and they almost lost all of their data because it almost melted their server, right? Their server almost went up in flames. And so when you have something like that happen, it becomes a thing of, oh, these do happen. Right. And when they do happen, people freak out because in that situation, the organization freaked out. And, and it was like, it took them more than a week to put things back together. And employees were like, well, should I go look for a new job? Because I'm not hearing anything from management. And the story that I got was that management was kind of freaking out because they didn't have a plan for that. So that's where these things come into play. The policies and procedures you have, uh, not just for security, but for other things as well, they're going to help you organize things. And then when something bad does happen, you can go to that detection and response plan and say, I think we have something here. Let's implement the response plan. Or let's go and look at our detection process and let's verify that this is real. Oh, it is real. Or, oh, it's not real. Here's what we do. And if we say it is real, then let's go and implement the response plan and follow the 20 things that are in there to take care of this particular situation. And rather than panicking, you have a plan of action. So let's look at some of these here. Um, And these are the ones, again, that I got from SANS. So we'll briefly look at the, uh, uh, which one is this? This is the software installation policy. So the purpose of this thing here, it says... The purpose of this policy is to outline the requirements around installation software on uh, company-owned, which you would put your own company in there. So we would say Section 9 computing devices to minimize the risk of loss of program functionality, the exposure of sensitive information contained within Section 9's computing network, the risk of introducing malware, and the legal exposure of running unlicensed software. And then they have a bunch of stuff in here that talk about what you're going to do with this policy. Like, what does it cover? What kinds of things are in the policy itself in terms of... And you're going to put um, these on the show notes? The links? Yeah, we're going to okay. have links to all of this so in the show So people notes. can look at it. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of how these policies work. And they're really short. Like, this one is like a page and a half. Uh, so there's not a lot here, but it's a policy. And what's really good about it is that there are things in the policy that make you think... Of, of some of the things that you may need to think about. Yeah, so one of the things here it says under the policy, it says employees may not install software on Section 9's computing devices operated within Section 9's network. So you're not going to have 
Like, let's say we're a larger organization and we had 100 employees. We can't have 50 people running around doing whatever they want or 100 people running around doing whatever they want because then you're going to end up in a situation where they're constantly calling you because of that thing that was stated in the policy. He, my computer doesn't work because uh, my applications are broken. Well, why are they broken? Because they installed third-party applications that were not approved by IT, and now the system's broken. So it's not just, this policy is not just there for security reasons, because they may get software installed that we don't know about in IT, and we don't update those applications. So that would be a, a security part to this. But the operational side is they broke their computer because they installed software that wasn't compatible with other things on their system. And now we have to fix that. So to minimize that, that the chance of having that happen, IT controls what happens to those machines with the policy. Correct. And so um, the other thing you have to think about when you, when you look at these policies is what happens when people violate the policy? Well, there's the door. You don't work for us anymore. See ya. And, and those kinds of things have to be in there so that people realize, hey, there's a consequence to installing software I'm not supposed to have on this machine. Um, so that's kind of how these policies work. And again, the ones from SANS are pretty short. Um, but like you said, there is um, the pandemic one. There's the password protection policy. And what's interesting about the password protection policy is that uh, you you can put in the policy what kind of uh, password manager you're going to be using. So like in our case, we're going to put in LastPass. And then there's a reference to how you generate your passwords. And what's secure, what's not secure, you know, passphrases versus, but in our case, we're going to say, generate the password from LastPass. So that that's, that's where the password comes from. And it's not right. something that's, that's like a, like a, a word or a phrase of some kind that somebody might be able to guess. It's just a random password. Right. Yeah. So let's look at the, uh, the uh, pandemic response planning policy. So it says here for a purpose, uh, this document directs planning preparation and exercises for a pandemic disease outbreak over and above the normal business continuity and disaster recovery planning process. And there's a bunch more that it says in here, but it's basically going beyond what you would have in a normal, normal business continuity plan. Well, you know, it, actually I was looking at it with you yesterday and, and one of the things that I, I believe said was, what if your entire office cannot come into work due to this pandemic thing, right? Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs because they couldn't in other places that didn't have a plan on how to do this, had to migrate their people or migrate their people, you know, uh, send their people home in batches is the best way that I can explain it because they had to figure out how to set up the VPNs. They had to make sure that they have access from home. That was the experience that I had with my employer. It was like, they didn't really know how many people could work from home. You know, they had to set VPNs out. They weren't able to set them right away. You know, they had to do certain people. So um, it was really interesting that that was addressed and that. And I think that, you know, I have to wonder how many businesses actually have that kind of policy. Should this happen again? Like it is happening right now. Yeah, and so I'm going to go through some of the SANS policies and pick out the ones that I think are going to be good for Section 9. Mm -hmm. uh, the software policy is one. The password protection policy is another one. We're going to look at the pandemic uh, right. plan, the policy there, because we're in one. Might as well take a look at that. Correct. Um, so uh, there are others that, that I haven't talked about that we're going to be looking at for Section 9 that come from SANS. 
but there are other resources out there. NIST is a good one, and uh, they they do have this thing called the Small Business Cybersecurity Corner, and and that's pretty cool. Now, the focus of that is on critical infrastructure. Now, we're not part of critical infrastructure by any means. So critical infrastructure would be like your ISP, your phone company. Here in Alaska, we have uh, the uh, pipeline. Oil and gas is a big deal. So that's considered critical infrastructure. Uh, and so there are certain resources that you can get from the government. Uh, I think they come. I think some of that comes from the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. But you have to be part of critical infrastructure to get that. And so we won't have access to that kind of thing. But some of the recommendations, some of the papers that NIST publishes, those are things that we can follow. Those are things that we have access to. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be looking at. And there is the um, cybersecurity roadmap. Uh, that was pretty cool, actually. I'm going to put a link to that because mm-hmm. that came from the Department of Homeland Security. And this has uh, four tiers of sophistication. And it's kind of like the critical security controls when you look at basic and foundational groupings of, of tasks that you would do. So if we've already done basic, you know, the one through six, then we would move to foundational and, and we would be uh, more mature or more secure than, than somebody who hasn't done basic yet. And so in this case, if you've done tier one, you're more secure than people who haven't done that yet. So in tier one, uh, and what's interesting about the way they plan this out or they've got it organized is there's a couple of questions in in each tier, and then they have resource links underneath that. So you can kind of figure out how to do some of the stuff that they're asking. So in tier one, you have a couple of questions here. It says, have you communicated the importance of cybersecurity to your business? And there's a lot of smaller organizations that haven't done this. They don't talk about security. They don't know it needs to be a thing. And then again, they have resources under that. And we'll put a link to to this particular um, process so you have access to that. And the second question they ask here is, has your business begun to follow basic cybersecurity best practices? Uh, And one of the things they have in here is the small business information security, the fundamentals. And this is that NIST document that we've talked about in the past. And that's the one that sort of gives you a basic process to security. They talk about things like detection, response plans. Uh, they talk about risk assessments where you do your data classification and you figure out if something is, you know, low risk, medium risk, high risk, and what level of that you need to start, you know, thinking about taking action. Uh, so uh, the resources they have here are really, really good. Now let's look at tier two. Are you implementing a leadership driven company wide cybersecurity program? And in security, you have to have buy-in from management. Um, because if you don't have management's buy-in, then you know it's IT off on their own trying to do security. And there's going to be certain things that, that IT just can't do without management, right? And that's where your policies and procedures come into play because management has to say, we're going to implement you know, a password policy that says 12 characters are the norm, you have to use LastPass. And if you want to get everybody to use it, it has to come from executives. They have to say, you know, management has to say, everybody is going to use LastPass. Everybody is going to have a 12-character password. Well, and that's where Tier 1 um, would have been, you know, addresses the, have you discussed the cybersecurity plan with your business? You know, if the executives are not on 
board with you, there's nothing you can do to really secure it. So, Yeah, and then the other thing is, are you getting any funding for this project, right? There are going to be some things in, in the security side of things that you have to pay for. Like LastPass is not free. Well, if management doesn't buy in and give you the money for LastPass, guess what? You're never going to be able to deploy that. Mm-hmm. So you really do need to have management buy-in before you can do some of these things. And the second question they have here is, have you integrated cybersecurity with a risk management process? And that goes back to some of the risk management stuff that we've talked about before. But in this case, there is actually a link to a NIST document that talks about how to do a risk assessment. So we're also going to be looking at that. And then when you get to tiers three and four, these are more sort of um, operational types of things and sharing of information. So in tier three, we have here, um, are you evaluating your cybersecurity posture and capabilities? That's one question. And then we have another one that says, are you participating in an information sharing forum to gain insights and strategies? I do that a lot where I'm just talking to other security people online, seeing what they're saying, reading their their comments or uh, their their recommendations for different things. You can also subscribe to different news feeds. Um, you can look at uscert.gov. Um, that's where you have this list of, of the, vulnerabilities. Uh, the vulnerabilities that are mm-hmm. out there and things you should watch for. That's the kind of thing that they're talking about. And then for tier four, have you trained your staff to prevent, detect, and respond to cyber incidents? And that's where you have your skill set, right? Do you have the right skills to be able to do this? Uh, are you utilizing cyber defense technologies to support your operation? Um, so that's where you have different technologies that sort of line up with what the business is doing. And, and the security piece is sort of baked into the way your operations function. So that you're making sure that what your business is actually doing, you have some security for that. Versus not paying attention to what the organization is doing and... Like you do A when you really should have done Z because that's closer to what your business is actually doing. So that's some of the stuff that we're looking at. And when we talk about policies and procedures, it's kind of this thing that that's mentioned, but nobody really talks about the details. And so we're going to try to figure out some of the details so that we can um, apply these things to Section 9. And then we're also going to do that, that um, what they call uh, the gap analysis for the critical security controls. And we're going to see how well have we done with the first six critical security controls. We talked about that in the previous episode. And so we're going to be using um, a Plex track to help us do an audit. And then we're going to try to combine all of these things, policies, procedures, audit, critical security controls, some of these NIST documents, and, and see if we can't put together a, a security program for Section 9. And it's going to take a while. We may not finish this until the end of the year. Um, and, and when we get to the end of the year, there may be certain things that we, we just can't get to yet because of whatever reasons, right? Uh, some of them are going to be skills-based. We don't have the right skills. Some of it's going to be technology that we can't afford. Or because we are now, like one of the things I'm thinking about is that if we move to Azure AD and we have uh, Intune managing our Windows 10 workstations, where does the logs for those workstations go? Like, are they on the box? And so when you talk about detection and response, well, how do I know what's happening on the workstation if I don't have some sort of centralized logging that I can look at, right? Because we did that purple teaming uh, course and they took all of the logs from the workstations 
and servers and send it to one centralized location, the Elk stack. And then Elk was, was you know, analyzing all of that information and then sending out alerts based on uh, certain findings. Well, how do you do something like that when you have Azure AD, Intune, and traditional Active Directory group policies no longer there? So where do you, how does the logging function in that kind of environment? So there's a lot of things that we're going to have to look at, lots of things that we don't know yet, lots of policies and procedures that I haven't found yet. Uh, so there's a lot that we're going to be sort of doing research on and planning for. And again, it may take us until the end of the year. It may take us longer than that to do this. Um, any thoughts on that? Actually, I do. You know how we constantly look at the Cisco lifecycle, um, the optimization part of it. I was thinking maybe we can do um, an initial gap analysis right now before we do anything further. And then at the end of a year, do another gap analysis to see the difference and see how far we've come. We're going to be doing that gap analysis no, 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 I understand a that. A lot. Like yeah. we, may, we may go back to this thing once a month. And the way that PlexTrack does this is interesting. You do your initial gap analysis, right? Or your audit in our case. And what's going to happen is you're going to have an account that you log into for PlexTrack. And then what you're going to do is you're going to say, I did blah, 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 blah for this particular critical security control. Mm -hmm. And then you and I are going to you know, review that and say, Yay, nay, good, bad. And then what you do is you track that. And so at some point you're going to say, this particular critical security control is done. And you mark it complete. Okay. And, and then you move on to the next one. And you can add your notes in there. You can put whatever you think is good in there. I can do the same. We can go back and forth on things. And then at some point we say, complete, done. And we can generate reports out of that so we can see how are we doing? What did we finish? Where are we at? I guess the biggest thing that it was kind of an aha moment for me, the first time we talked about the optimization um, step on the Cisco lifecycle, I thought, oh, we just look at to see how our network, our network is doing and all the devices are working and then, you know, everything is secure somewhat and and what have you, and then we'll be okay. And I didn't think that there'd be so much to it as this. You know, it just goes to show you that one little tiny thing is not just saying, okay, is this running as, as good as it can run? No, is, is, is it running as good as it can run? Is it as secure as it can be? Is it the best that it can be, you know, uh, when we look at our needs? So it, it just goes to show you, circle again, how complicated IT is and how many steps there are. And, and it's amazing. It's just, I love it. I love every minute of it. And, and this process is not something you're going to do over a weekend. No. Like even when you look at the critical security controls, you know, if you're going to implement all of them, you know, that's like four or five years. Oh, yeah. I mean, they literally actually say that somewhere in the document that it's going to take you three, four or five years to actually complete all of them. And the chances of you doing all of them is really hard. For most organizations, that's never going to be a thing. And so you implement, let's say, the first six, like what we're trying to do. And even for us, that's going to be, it's going to be hard to do because there's only two of us. And, and some of the skills we may not have, we may not have the right technology. There's a lot of reasons why. Well, look at how long we've been trying to implement them and all the research that has gone into it and we're still not there. Yeah, but I think, you know, the the stuff that I found and some of the other things I'm going to put in the, the show notes, 
because there's a few other things in there that I think I want to tack in to the to the list of things that I want people to see. Uh, like SANS has a way of of deploying the critical security controls and a process, right? So you do your gap analysis. That's the first thing you do, and then you work your way through the list. And they have a, a you know, I think it was like five or six things that you're supposed to do. I mean, there's more to it than that, but here's the process you go through, and I think that that's great. Um, anything else you want to add? No, no, I'm really excited though. No, I think that's it. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to section9.us and send us a ticket. Uh, if you want to take a look at our show notes, those are also going to be on the website. And if you haven't subscribed to our show, please do so. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs>